Hi, I'm Hazel Jane Plant, and this is Tea for Tea. I'm a librarian, a cat photographer, and a trans writer. On this podcast, I'll be talking to other trans writers about writing and things they've written. Basically, Tea for Tea is a podcast about writing while trans. For this episode, I chatted with Jean Thornton, who was recently given a Lambda Literary Award for Transfiction for her novel Summer Fun. Her name has come up repeatedly in previous podcast conversations, um, I think maybe three or four times, to be honest. I tried to bring in as much of her work as I could. She's published three books, the novel Dream of Dr. Bantam, which revolves around lesbians and a time cult loosely based on Scientology, The Black Emerald, a collection of strange, smart, and dreamy short stories, and Summer Fun, which is an ambitious and oddly magical work told through a series of letters to a musician who resembles Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, except this musician is also a trans girl named Diane. I first became aware of Jean through her comics, which we also touch on, and I think I mentioned that she co-founded and co-runs In Star Books, which has published a lot of great work, including the current Remember the Internet series, of which I am a subscriber, and Calvin Gimplevich's Invasions, which is a rad collection of short stories. At one point, I think Jean brings up Miscellaneous Kisses, which is a project that I mailed to her. Um, In a nutshell, Miscellaneous Kisses is this really weird work that I published in a tiny artist edition, that's what I was calling it, an artist edition of 50 copies, with deluxe packaging so it looks just like a blu-ray very criterion style with a 60 page booklet um, that has a long illustrated essay in it about a non-existent film called miscellaneous kisses directed by an artist named sadie tang who appears in my next novel i guess i should say my next novel is called any other city and it comes out in april 2023 with arsenal pulp press it feels so weird to be promoting my work it feels like it's been so long Um, And that's probably all you need to know about miscellaneous kisses. I tried to cut that part out of our chat. Honestly, whenever anybody brings up my work, I always try to cut it out, but it feels really hard to do that. Um, And also it's just, I don't know, we're a couple of writers who like each other's work and that feels like a good thing. Um, Anyway, I loved talking to Jean. Uh, Truth be told, we talked until my laptop literally ran out of power, like it died. I think she managed to leave in time to meet uh, Miracle Jones for uh, dinner in a diner. Um, But these conversations do my head and my heart so much good. I really love having them. I think at one point we both agree that somehow our work is often much wiser than we are. I don't know how that's true, but I know that it is. In our conversation, Jean touched on everything from Calvin and Hobbes and the history of recording technology to translit and Marlon Brando's autobiography. Okay, here's our conversation. I feel like I kind of know you from having like read a bunch of your work and read interviews and from knowing other people, like your name has come up so many times, like when I've chatted with various folks before. Well, I recently chatted with like Megan Milks and of course your name came up and when I chatted with like Bishak, your name came up and like, yeah, I mean, but it's also the thing of where writers often know other writers and like you also live in the same city. Like, oh no, so. Particularly with like transness, I think there's just like not... You know, it's a pretty trans community is very like 
I don't know, like interwoven anyway. And I yeah. think with like, there's just not anything cool, like writing fiction kind of in some ways. So yeah. that is nice to hear. Like both of those people are both of those people are, are delights to me. So I am very glad that. I'm glad to know that I was in their thoughts, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's nice. It's nice to have people think about you. Yeah, I feel like I haven't even like, I'm just realizing now, like I haven't even like in this kind of situation, like congratulated you on your Lammy, which is like a kind of a huge, oh, thank you. it's a big fucking deal. Like it's super nice. It's nice. To, and, and speaking of like recognition, like it's super nice just to be like, okay, people thought my work was really good. Yeah, I, um, thank you for saying that. It's like, it feels good. There are like, I think I just had a lot of like weird anxieties around this book in particular. Like it took a really long time to sell. And like at some point in the period of time of trying to sell it, I think it like occupied the strange and, and it's like about like an album that didn't come out. It's like, it's like about a thing or like, like a frustrated project or something. So like there's some weird psychological feelings that started to develop as a result of that. To the point that, like, for a little while after the book came out, like, I have, like, copies of it, like, sitting over there, right? And I would look at their, like, the ones I got, like, they send, where they send you the big box and stuff, right? Mm. And I would look at them and think, like, that's not real. Yeah. Like, that's not a real object. Like, it's just, like, that didn't, like, you, you, you only think that you published that, but it's, like, those objects are hallucinations. And it's, like, that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to think. And, like, I would get... I get a lot of letters about this book, so I knew people were reading it, but I think mm. it's also this book like sort of uniquely, this book uniquely invites you to overcome whatever barrier like people have against like writing letters to writers, right? I think it's like the whole book is like just a series of like unhinged letters, right? So I think it's like, like almost all the letters will allude to the fact it's like, oh, it's, it's probably pretty funny to be emailing you about this one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I knew people were reading it, but yeah, it was like, like feeling like we're reading this and it's not it's not just like you know like a couple like a couple dozen letter writers in the dark and and like your friends or something there really is like like something out there to it that that really meant a lot yeah i mean that that's so lovely and it's also just such a weird thing like i feel like i have a question here somewhere that that's kind of like percolating for me now just that weird thing of like I have like, as I said before, like one or two questions related to magic and like in a way, like writing a book is like this form of like linguistic magic of where it's like you put these mm -hmm. words down on a page and you put like thoughts and ideas in another person's head and these like images start like unfolding for them and they have yeah. an experience and it's not the same. They're not all having the exact same experience. Like there's the thing where they're filling in all of these blanks or whatever and there's just this sort of like weird magic mm -hmm. and also like with you creating this too like and I think we were talking before about like yeah, how you like were like I'm not going to be abandoned after learning how to play an instrument I'm just going to make this thing happen but then there's also stuff from your actual life that gets refracted into it where it's like truth or consequences New Mexico and it's like this thing is not the exact thing that happened to me or like mm -hmm. Brian Wilson becomes like B slash Diane or like you know, smile becomes summer fun and there's that kind of contorting and kind of distorting yeah. that happens. And then they start kind of coalescing into a thing and then other people start experiencing it too. And it's like in their head, like this thing that was just in your head, people have mm -hmm. sat with your book and it's like hundreds of pages long and that's yeah. like given it all this time and this energy. And now it's kind of like almost in with their memories and their brain. It's just such a wild experience, I think. 
yeah no that is like it's like it's weird because i can't totally speak to how other people experience it in some ways but like i have i like what you said about that like the transfiguration aspect of it i was thinking about a thing that like my friend kathleen said to me when in like like she wrote me a letter about the book right Mm. and like she was talking about how the experience of it was like hanging out with like it's like like we'll hang out in chat right but it's like hanging out but you're not hanging out with the person you're hanging out with this like strange like ai echo of them or something you know yeah it gave me this vision i started like that stuck with me and i keep thinking about it that way when you're like seeing someone's book you're like it's like like the person may or may not even be living or something they may not be there anymore but it's like you you've gone to this sort of like haunted amusement park they've established and then like there's like like like, I don't know, like a robot concierge will come. It's like, welcome, I'm glad you've arrived. And it's like, oh my God, that's my friend, but it's not my friend. What is happening? And they sort of lead you through this whole place. Yeah. I feel like that uncanniness of fiction is kind of like, like there's definitely quotes about how fiction is more like intense than nonfiction in a way, because it's like, like one of the projects when writing this book was to take this historical story about, like this band that is, is just this whole elaborate American Gothic saga, like that the book goes into like maybe 2% of like trying to evoke, like there's all this weird mm-hmm. Gothic drama with like each of the members is like fascinating in their own way. It could be like this, like, I don't know, like multi-hour, like documentary series or something about yeah. it. Then like thinking about how can I write something? This is my question early on. Like, how can I write something that tells the emotional truth about that that hits that feels like it is the same story in some sense that's intuitive like it feels like because the whole thing the whole like story of like brian wilson beach boys and smile is like this very particular like sad american legend or tall tale right it's like about like like it's like paul bunyan level or something about Mm -hmm. like this family that goes out to like find gold and then it's like intersects with with capitalism and it's like this sort of like flowering is like struck down kind of like like deep sadness that I think is like very I don't know just like when I think about America I think about like that being pretty deep in it and trying to do something that was that same legend but yeah that was sort of one of the one of the projects was to try to like do something that evokes the feelings I would get about this to me like you'd write something centered on a song right but it's like the story of the band behind the song yeah because I remember reading something earlier where I think you were talking this is like circa 2012 um, oh my talking about when you, it was the playlist you put together for Large Hearted Boy, where you talked about the book yeah. you're writing now at the time it was called Dumb Angels. And you mm-hmm. said it's basically a narrative exegesis of things I enjoy about 30 or 40 classic Beach Boys tracks. Ooh, I don't know if I would say the, the final book really ended up like that, but it's like, that's like, I mean, I certainly could perform such an exegesis, right? Although I think a lot of my immediate Beach Boys knowledge is kind of packed away in the attic. Mm-hmm. I think like when I, like my first book is very like, so, like Scientology focused in a bunch of ways, yeah. right? And at the time I was writing it, I could tell you like, like what each OT level was or like the, the specific years that Elron Hubbard was doing specific things, like like 0% of that ended in the story, but it's like, yeah, I had this immediate like steepedness in like Scientology. And then like when I finished the book, I was like, okay, like that all, like that'll go in like a, 
cardboard box labeled like like I don't know like theater costumes like 28 2008 or something it's the foundational stuff that helps you to kind of put in the scaffolding and kind of make the thing I guess in a way and then you pull it away and -hmm. it's like the paper mache that you made is like different than the actual thing that you were kind of sort of building it on I guess in a way yeah because you surely felt like this with um with little encyclopedia right like because there's like I had, an, I had an argument with a friend or something because I, I thought it was like really like Twin Peaks driven. Like it's like, this is like, this is like Hazel talking about Twin Peaks by other means as a way of getting this emotional story. And then this friend was like, no, it's this like specific, like like actual TV show that was on in Canada early on. And I don't remember the details of it. But like, I don't want to ask you to settle this question here on the podcast, definitely. But it was like, compelled by the fact that we both like I have like like I, I lived I like love Twin Peaks and like I'm, I'm like deep in it and everything yeah. like that and, and like I think she was really vibing with this one other thing that she had deep associations with and I think that maybe gets back around to the point you're making where it's like the spell is like you're going from whatever mysterious thing that is coming out with this like very very charged relationship yeah as well as the charged like aesthetic relationship but then like other people are going to see like like map their own charge things onto it in some ways or like see it in terms of those those guideposts yeah i love that you had this argument i do think it's part of part of it's yeah that alchemy of where there's the initial thing for me like i'll just say like part of it was twin peaks part of it was other tv like there's so many tv shows that are set in a place that's kind of adjacent to the world we live in whether it's uh-huh. like Twin Peaks or Northern Exposure or like even like Lost or like Gilmore Girls or whatever, like they're not mm-hmm. this exact world, but they have certain kind of constellations of characters. And then you have yeah. the like kind of rich person who kind of does weird shit. And then you have yeah, like, sure. you know, the kind of dude who like rides a motorcycle and does whatever, like that kind of thing. Like they're just kind of archetypes in a way. But then you kind of turn it into a different thing and you're like, oh, this character started as this, but became a different thing like for sure like b slash diane is not like it's not exactly brian wilson in any any stretch i don't think no that was one of the big um i ended up revising this book a lot over time and i think like every time the revision happened i realized like the book only really became alive in some ways and i think does more with like the characters we focus a lot on like like diane and like like Mona, who's like sort of vaguely patterned after Connie Converse, but is like very, very different. Mm-hmm. And like, um, like Tommy, I think in some ways got more, it, when I started to dig into like, what it is like to be this specific kind of like, this specific kind of like cis person who's like friends with a trans person and can't deal with that. Yeah. Like, like that you're like weird kind of like male friendship, you're patterning stuff onto is like gone away in this complicated way. All of it really didn't, and particularly with like like Bill, right? Like the dad in the book. It's like these characters like evoke like these historical things, but it was like, if you hold them up next to one another, they're very, very different. Like historical Brian Wilson is like, mm-hmm. like a doofy California guy, right? It's like, like brilliant, like craven in different ways, right? The book really didn't start to come alive until I was like, I have to like kind of break the chain of fidelity and assume there's going to be enough. Like the important thing is not, creating a, a perfect correspondence system of the historical band. The thing is like it has to have its own, its own vibrancy, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, and I was thinking the same thing too about like um, in like Dream of Dr. Bantam, like the Institute of Temporal Illusions versus like Scientology. And like you were saying, like there's just so deep you could have gone on things, but it needs to kind of become its own 
thing if it's yeah. going to have any sort of life and not just kind of be like a stand-in, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, that person looks like that other person. It's like when you're watching a film and you're like, you know, you're thinking about the character instead of the fact that this person looks a lot like the person they're playing or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, where it's like not enough. Like there were early, like early drafts, the Jimmy Dr. Phantom, I remember, like way back when we're like, I really need to give people like understanding of the things I specifically see that are like scary and compelling about like Scientology, right? And then I realized like, like there was a whole draft of the book where like what ends up being the whole plot of the book, which is like Julian Patrice's like weird relationship mm -hmm. was going to be like, you know, like this, I think this is a common like first novel move or something where it's like, that's only what, it's only the beginning. Like there's like this relationship and then like this bad thing happens to Patrice and like Julie wants to get revenge on Dr. Bantam. So she goes to like, works her way up through the cult and like moves to New York and becomes his secretary while he's dying and like learns the darkness of this man and all this stuff, right? And I realized like I was working on the first draft of it, like was this like really sprawling thing back in like, when I was like, like a child or whatever, I was like, like 25 or something. I was like working at the Strand and like on my lunch breaks, like writing this and be like, this could be great. It's the best book ever, right? And then realized like the only part of this that is good is the part that's centered on this like complicated and strange relationship. Mm -hmm. And I just need to not do the rest of it and like have it. And I think that actually is like working by reduction. There's a part in Summer Fun that talks about um, like where they go to like, they go to like the Donner Pass and they're recording the song about like, like like westward expansion and like the sort of like dark moment in it mm -hmm. and they do this whole elaborate thing where they ship the whole band up there and they've got this like convoy and all the equipment is up there they set it up like on the riverbank and like get like like diana's like we all have to be baptized in the river and she's trying to just like be an out transsexual band leader in like 1966 and they're like yeah. what the fuck are you doing what is this what are you and like yeah. And then they, they do all that. It's like this whole chapter. And then like they mix it down to like 10 seconds in the in like the backing track. Right. Because the and like she's like, this is the only point of it, because there's like the spiritual sound is like what's like the fact that we captured these like spirits in recording is like what's important here. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something about that when it comes to like this like method of like doing a lot, cutting a lot out, and then letting things that are removed from the project kind of haunt the project yeah I love I love that that's I remember I once wrote this like yeah anyway I wrote this like uh what was it like an oral history of this band that didn't exist that wound up in a later book I wrote this band called Teach Yourself Beekeeping and they uh -huh. had this whole thing of like recording these albums and putting stuff there and then removing those tracks but then the idea that it was still kind of there yeah yeah even yeah it was totally. not on there but there's the suggestion of it right yeah, because there's this weird, like, I read, um, there's this book I read at some point when I was writing Summerfun, like, it was called, um, it has this really intense title, it's about recording, called Perfecting Sound Forever. Oh, right, I saw it in the acknowledgments at the back, yeah. Yeah, it's great, because it's just, like, it it centers on a couple of, like, canonical things, like Phil Spector has talked about, of course, and, like, um, Bob Clear, I'm going to mess with this name, but like, like the guy whose last name is like Clear Mountain. Right. Who did yeah, all these yeah. recordings, like where, where records just started sounding like really different at this one point in the 1980s. Yeah. It's just this one guy found this way to make it like, like suddenly everything sounds like very specific or like loudness wars and everything. But the early chapters are all about Thomas Edison having this like lonely vision for acoustic recording, mm -hmm. which supposedly is like, you can't amplify it. So it's like, it, it's like sonically perfect like they would do this thing called the tone test where they'd bring like, they'd record a singer 
and like travel with like an Edison, like acoustic, like recorder and player to like different concert halls and have mm-hmm. the curtain closed and start playing a record. And like, sometimes it was the actual woman singing and sometimes it was the record. And you were supposed to vote as an audience on like, who do you think it is? And then mm-hmm. they'd like open the curtain and like, you couldn't, like people couldn't tell, like there was not like, wow. like, a st- like a significant difference or something. Yeah. And of course they moved away from it because they wanted to do like, like, I don't know, like whatever, whatever is not like strictly true acoustic recording where you like switch it for like, or analog recording, right? Where it's like the analog to the acoustic waveform. Mm-hmm. Where like in acoustic, it's like the the actual shape of the groove is the same as the waveform. Like it's like there's no difference between the sound wave and the and the shape. And then analog is like where we're going to approximate it by these like when the needle's here, it's like this level of signal. When it's here, it's this level of signal. And then CDs like sort of arrive at that same reduction in a different way. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons Tom Edison was so obsessed with acoustic recording is like that he thought you could record ghosts that way. Right. Like really specifically that like, well, if we have an analog, like the things that we don't see aren't captured because we're like making this assumption about what we're going to hear based on what our ears can hear and what we appreciate about music. But that's not what this is about. This is not about like selling music to people and letting them listen to a song they recognize. It is about possibly capturing ghosts. Wow. I know. That was in my head when I was working on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the things that haunt and the things that kind of suggest a thing like. I I reached out to uh, like one of the things that I found myself thinking about too. I was like reading some of the stuff you've written about other people's work and things people have written about your work. And like one of the things that I remember when um, you wrote a review of Corinne Manning's uh, like really wonderful book of stories, we had no rules. And then later (sighs) Corinne wrote this like super like sharp um, piece about um, summer fun. So I reached out to Corinne the other day and I was like, Hey, I'm going to chat with you. Do you have a question? And, uh-huh. and Corinne was like, yes, I have a question. So- I love this. I love that they're like, <laughs> like caller questions and like a podcast. That's whack. I love this. Okay. What is Corinne's question? I'm so happy to hear from Corinne. What's going on? Yeah. And I mean, part of it, what I'll say in advance of this too, is like, it's just that thing I think we were talking about earlier of just like writers knowing other writers and those kind of mm-hmm. connections. And there's something beautiful about somebody else seeing your work and just really getting it. And it like resonates and it's like, oh, they're picking up on stuff that is like, not just yeah. the, yeah. So this is this is Corinne's question, which is just a super smart writer related question. So Corinne wants to hear your thoughts on first person omniscience and how it mm. plays out in Summer Fun. Okay, intriguing. First person omniscience and how it plays out in Summer Fun. I think that the the rule that I had for myself specifically, I'm assuming this is talking about Gala having a suspicious amount of knowledge about like Diane's world and story and like thoughts and things like that. That's my thoughts too. Yeah. Because there's just so much that mm-hmm. Gala knows. The rule that I set for myself when writing it is to try to make it as little as possible to come down on the question of whether Gala actually knows these things or whether she is narrating a completely fictional story back to this person. Mm -hmm. There's moments of like, the influence for that in some ways was um, comic Calvin and Hobbes, which is like hugely important in my childhood. Probably everyone's childhood, really. I think that's like a cultural universal in the US or something, but like. Do you have a Calvin and Hobbes thing? I'm curious. I don't really have that much of, like, it was one of the, I do remember reading Calvin and Hobbes when I was younger. Yeah, it was like one of the things, but I don't have a huge, yeah, it's not one of my big touchstones. Yeah. Okay. okay. I love it deeply still. And like, there's, 
it, it was just like ridiculously better than it had any need to be. Like the the art isn't like the art is like the artist was looking at like Egon Sheila and thinking like how can I get this line quality? Am I drawing of like a cartoon tiger? And like yeah, it's like this thing. I think a lot about like artistic integrity is kind of a lot of things with that book, right? Um, we're just formed when I was very young, but like the conceit of the strip is that like Hobbes sometimes looks like a stuffed animal and sometimes looks like a real tiger, right? Based on basically whether Calvin is there or not. And he said he worked really, really, really hard to never have the strip actually um, make a judgment on that reality. But there was something about like the ambiguity of it was important. That was in my head as I was working on the Galliparts. There are points where like, just for plot reasons, and honestly, if I were to rewrite this book or do like a like a remastered summer fun in like, I don't know, like 20 years or something, I might try to contrive it where there are a couple plot moments where at the end, um, she and Rhonda are going to maybe go to the reunion show. And there's, of course, the fact that Caroline is related to Mona, who is like canonically the song. Sorry, sorry for like spoiling the book for everybody who's listening to it hasn't read it, you know, but like... I think like there are things that kind of back up Gala's account. If I were to do a remastered version, I would try to find ways to remove all those things. In the very mm. last editing pass, I tried as much as possible to remove anything stray that wasn't kind of like a load bearing thing. Yeah. But I really feel like there's leaving it open to whether this is all actually in Gala's head, everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. in, in important for Gala to say this. I think was key. I think in the broader sense of the question about just first person omniscience generally, I think that's why first person is very hard to write. This is me putting like a teacher hat on or something here where I was working with a writer and a manuscript consultant recently. And the advice I gave was about um, all the characters in this book were in first person, different things. And I was saying like, it's actually really hard for a first person voice not to slip into omniscience to not be like the sort of eye of the world. Cause like you, the writer are thinking about the story and like what you know about the story. And it's very, very hard when you're literally writing the word I and like conjugating verbs around that mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. not to have that identity form, like not to like slide into that. So it's like, you almost have to work like over time to like relativize the eye to like distance from the eye, right? I don't know that I necessarily did a good job of this in Summer Fun, but it was like sort of like, at least playing with that dynamic of like, Gala knows a suspicious amount, right? was in my head. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers, I can't, I can't possibly ask you if that answers the current question, but do you, do you feel that it answers the question in your mind? I feel like it does. I feel like it does. And I think it's, it's one of those interesting things of, yeah, there's the question of like, whether Gal is like conjuring all of the stuff here or whether it's actually super insightful about what was really going on. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's also this whole undercurrent of magic that's happening too, of trying to like, make things make things happen um yeah actually like with you talking about calvin and hobbes it makes me think of like another question i have which is like related to like drawing and writing Mm because i know like you know cartooning is like a thing that you do and i started thinking about two different things like one of them is uh you're you mentioned holland before like i was in uh, amsterdam like a number of years ago and i saw this one painting by rembrandt this portrait Mm -hmm. of jan six which is so interesting because parts of it are like super realistic and then other parts of it are just kind of brushstrokes where they're just kind of suggesting the thing. And okay. then, so I, so it's the tension between those two things, right? Of the really super realistic stuff and the stuff that really isn't. 
And then I was like, just this morning, I was looking again at like Scott McCloud's um, understanding comics with that whole thing to do with like the simplicity and the amplification through simplification. And if you just draw mm-hmm. like a stick figure, it does a thing versus like a really super close, uh, like realistic drawing of someone. And I started thinking about Summer Fun where there are certain parts of it that really have that realistic kind of like brush stroking happening. And then other parts that I think are kind of like more broad brush strokes, like the 1960s, for example, yeah. like it doesn't really go into like a great deal of granularity. Um, Mm -hmm. so all of that, I guess, is kind of like a bit of a preamble to just kind of ask too about like how drawing comics, like how does that affect actually like writing prose? Oh, interesting. I was thinking about this the other day with like, a. am I'm working on the next book now. And like, I I have this whole thing where I'm trying to rewrite it. I I have like a draft of it from a couple of years ago and I'm, I don't know, just enough has happened that I like, I really want to rewrite it kind of the same plot, but like from like reconceived in fresh flesh or something mm-hmm. like words being flesh in this instance. I don't know. But like, um, I was thinking that the way I write dialogue is really informed by having at some point, like the substrate of when I'm trying to think of a story is like, this is, this is going to be a metaphor that's going to run on the rocks, but we're going to get through it together. And it's going to be great. Like there's like a moment in, um, when like a fetus is gestating, it looks like a, fish for a long time it's just basically like we start as kind of like a spine is sort of one of the first things that forms it ends up being a spine like a heart and like soft parts beneath and like a food generator or something there's this weird um book i was reading and it's like related to like like ifs therapy which i do which is about um like parts of the body and the elements in some ways and talking about how like we have this inner map that kind of goes back to it where it's like you've got your spine for defense you've got the soft parts it's defending and you've got these other like other elements that sort of have this elemental mapping right Mm -hmm. but the idea that that could be potentiated in any different thing right the basic template of like spine guts like nervous system center can turn into like it could be a fish it can turn into like like anything it's like a vertebrate right follows that same thing and potentiates in different ways gender works like this also as well right where it's sort of like everyone is sort of like dual potentiated and then like it gets like one side or the other gets shut off or this happens imperfectly or something or it's like Mm -hmm. just this whole like like i don't i don't have to tell you like gender is like gender is weird and like and not like a not like a tight system or anything like that i feel like and, and similarly like prose and comics are not like a tight system right where i feel like everything but i feel like the thing that is the vertebrate for me usually and this is just from having been a kid who like drew comics kind of like really obsessively and like sometimes wrote with like friends right but i'd be like 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 as long as i can remember i've kind of like hopped back and forth between these like writing like my first like writing project was like I did a novelization of Zelda 2 the adventure of Link when I was like seven with my friend right where it was like yeah. every page was like a big drawing of Link and then like a story of like going to a palace or something it's like it's like weirdly long right but it was like I've never like chosen between one of the others and there's a thing where like when specifically dialogue scenes show up or when I'm thinking of characters doing things it's always in like thumbnail mode mm-hmm. and the pacing I think ends up being comics and I find myself having to really correct with that with like dialogue scenes because like I'm thinking like oh like I, I know what what position in this character is going in. I'm, I'm like writing a comic script now in parallel to like the, the next like novel I'm working on right this is very on my mind where it's like why does this dialogue work and the dialogue over in this prose thing doesn't and it's because like over here I know where everyone's face is I know what the expression is or these different things like that over here I do not 
and I don't really have an elegant way in prose to do it, that becomes like a real challenge, I think, just on the really technical level of like, how do you do this thing where like, the story has unfolded for me in this way, but it has to be translated back into something that makes sense in language. I think that's why like, when, like when I'm looking at pages to revise, which I'm doing a lot lately, it's like there are these big like, dense parts of description that are just chains of association kind of popping up in different ways that originate as, as like a, an image that's sort of being described in prose. Mm-hmm. And this dialogue that's being described is like a series of like panels that's then being translated back and they just look different. Like one of them is dense on the page and then has these like really skeletal dialogue scenes that are just missing apart. You have to do this work of like, you have to make this look more like that. It's not even, that was a weird explanation. I'm so sorry for going into this thing that got into like like fetuses and like shit. I'm so sorry. No, I think that, I think that's, I, I love actually, honestly, like I really like a lot of that answer like so much. I think, I think it started in a great place. It like ended in a great place. Um, and it made me think of other stuff that I've also been thinking of in relation to your work too, right? Of the stuff, like what do you actually expose versus what do you kind of push down and mm-hmm. you know that it's not being exposed, right? Which kind of makes me think of like, makes me think of two things that I think are related. One of them is, I remember when my first book came out in one of the earliest interviews, somebody asked me if people become better artists through suffering. And I remember getting really angry. Like it just made me oh, really no. angry. Um, uh-huh. But it made me think really about, yeah, like trauma and art and like, you know, transmuting and all of these kind of things here. But then also it made me think too of like in connection to that, like in Corinne's review of, of Summer Fun, um, Corinne writes, B and Gala excel at the art of making sure no one knows what they are thinking or feeling and are very good at suppressing their own needs. The way Thornton is able to construct the limited embodiment and connection that surviving abuse and a violent cis culture puts on the body is one of the greatest hauntings in the text. And I found myself really thinking about that thing of like writing traumatized characters who are like emotionally somewhat opaque and maybe Mm -hmm. have a hard time being in their body. And also just more broadly kind of thinking about like art making and trauma. Yeah. I really love that review again. Just like that was, if you could, if you get like one review like that in your life, like you're just really lucky. And like, I'm, I'm extremely lucky that it happened like relatively I, I, you know, I hope relatively early in my career, I hope I'm, I hope this isn't like the end for me or something. But um, you asked about writing like limited embodiment that comes with trauma. I was thinking about just, I don't know. I think much as like comics come from a native place, I think that's a really natural place for me to start writing, like almost to the point where like, I didn't necessarily even see that that was happening in the work mm-hmm. until I certainly knew that writing was hard writing Diane was hard in a lot of ways right just because um like I was working on the dream of Dr. Bannum it was like writing Julie was really almost like like fantasy fulfillment or something like this is like I think this is a common way of approaching characters particularly in like like first novels or projects where it's like I'm gonna write the character who I wish who can do the brave thing that I can't do necessarily mm-hmm. and like there, there was like gender stuff going on I hadn't come out when I was writing the book and like there was like my plan A was just like, like I knew I was trans and I was like, well, I can never come out, you know, like it's like 2008, that's like impossible for me. So like, yeah. what I'm gonna do is just write like a series of novels with these like bold, like cis, like dyke protagonists until that becomes just too sad to do. And then like, I don't know, like, 
like end it all or something and that was like my plan a you know sorry like trigger warning but like you know i'm glad that didn't wind up being the plan i'm glad that wasn't the plan. no yeah i found a different plan a you know? <laughs> like the like but it still comes into a place like that is the thing that is really hard about writing about being trans in general not even just writing transness is that suddenly like yeah um, I think I just reread Nevada, right? Like, have you read Nevada? Like, of course you read Nevada. Like, I think like the part where she talks about like, like suddenly I was going to have to put effort into my presentation or something that I felt a lot. Like suddenly I have a body and I have to care for it. Like suddenly I just can't completely neglect, like, because I have a reason to care about it. Yeah. Um, it feels like that's a thing that was hard for one of the reasons that took this book a long time to be written because I started writing it before I was completely out to anybody, right? the very first parts and like I felt like each revision that I came to I was able to get more the circles back a little to your earlier question about the 60s parts versus later parts the 60s parts are all generally earlier chronologically like I think I had written mm -hmm. all the 60s stuff in pretty much the form like language like generally shorter and like maybe with some tweaks here and there right but like pretty much the form they they were textually by about I don't know 2015 or something mm -hmm. The Gallup parts were being revised like up to like I'd sold the book and I had to turn in copy edits, you know, that part, like pretty intensely revised in some cases, just because that sense of like my embodiment as a trans woman was evolving in my ability to talk about it, my ability to even have language about it at all. Yeah. You have to find it out. Like you you learn some of it from other trans women that you talk to about it. You know, certainly you probably learn the most of it, but it's really like there's some parts of it that like when you get asked the question like, like it's just, it was like, what does it feel like to be trans? And it's like, there is an answer, but how do you possibly answer it? Right? Like I was trying to yeah. describe it to someone when I was in the process of coming out, it's like, it's like my fist has been like this, like really tight and like crushed all my life. And then now it's like, and now I came out and it's not like we're here. It's like, we're like here. Like there's a little bit less tension and every day there's a little bit less more. And then starting to get to the point now, and this is like, this is stuff to, I had like therapy yesterday. So this is dovetailing therapy a little bit, you know, but like thinking about like, oh, I don't have to think of my embodiment as being a thing that I have to solve or that there's one right answer to, or there's like a right way to be trans. There's a right way to navigate transness and cisness in some ways, right? There's like a thing where like my transness can be expressive. Like my body can be expressive. My presentation can be expressive in some ways. I know it seems like I should have figured that out before I'm like, like 39 years old as I am presently, right? But it's like also like, I think that a lot of the sense, this is all a long way of answering that like a lot of the tightness in this book is very like, like if you had asked me this question while I was writing it and before I had done thinking about it and before it coming out and before Corinne had said that, I would have like when I first read this or like when I first read this review, they wrote, I was like, I didn't, I didn't see that. That's amazing because that's hundred percent true. And like, you gave that back to me, right? It's like this weird thing that happens with books for like, yeah. you do these things that are very close to you and then you show them to people and people are like, give you more than you got more than you gave back i don't know it feels really yeah gift but yeah like it's a weird anxiety i have about like would my books be better if they were more embodied like would they i mean yes this is one question but like it's a feeling of great anxiety i have about my work is like that it's like is this like very the degree to which that's going on in it i, I think is like often difficult to relate to unless you unless you've been in that place you know and I think the book is probably resonant with that. I think all trans people are a little bit in that place just by virtue of being trans, right? But there's something about, mm -hmm. it's an, 
I mean, I'm just like talking about like vulnerability or something. Like it's like when I like I don't know if you felt this way with like like Little Blue Encyclopedia or if you felt this way with like like the book you're working on now, right? If it's something like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like why am I putting this out there? This is like this is just all the secrets. Like this is all this like weird stuff. I think for me, it goes back and forth, right? I think it kind of goes back and forth. And I feel like one of the things I increasingly realize is when I put a thing in a book and it's a weird thing, that's often the stuff that other people are like, I don't know what the letters are like that you've received around Summer Fun, but often it's the like weird shit of where somebody's like, I've never read anybody mention this in a book before. And I totally get this thing. It's so, you know, it's it's the strange kind of thing of kind of trying to like represent... And it's part of it's like how it's like to be in a body and part of it's like how it's how it is to to be in the world. And yeah. and I mean there are all these resonances between Gala and and Diane as well, right? And like mm-hmm. the hardness of being in a body and, and I suddenly flash on that scene between like Gala and Rhonda, where I think like Gala's talking about sigils and then Rhonda is like, it just really sucks being trans. And then Gala's like, this is what we're going to talk about. This is this is so much what we, what we talk about where it's like you had the kind of fist that was like clenched before and it's like it's a different kind of clenching or like the weight of yeah. eyes on you or whatever feels yeah. like it's just a different kind of hardness, but it's a hardness with maybe more spaciousness, a little more spaciousness of being able to kind of... I don't yeah. know. It's 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 a hard thing to talk about though. It's super it's super hard and that's where I think like some of the stuff there too of like and it's funny it's interesting when you talk about comics too and I think like there is a thing where it gestures at something that's going on underneath like I think of the scene where there is like Diane is wearing this hers robe and then yeah. Rhonda's like that's the her you're you're wearing the hers robe and then Diane is like and this is when Diane is, is going by B is like, Oh wow. That's the whole response. Right. Is like, Oh wow. But then, you know, there's a weight behind that. Oh wowness of where there's all this stuff that can't really at that moment be spoken. That's kind of like submerged and pushed, pushed down. And we kind of, we get some of that through the, Oh wow. Yeah. There was always like, there's definitely a thing about like the difficulty of writing that character is like, like knowing what she's doing, like knowing what she looks like, but like not being able to like, like words aren't bodies, right? Like words aren't, it's just like not, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's being translated from another medium or something. I really, um, I like what you said about just like transsociality in general with the, um, like Gala and Rhonda and this like, I don't know, it's, it's a thing I worry about, which I think I'm still unpacking like, like the question about like vulnerability and anxiety, right? About that. Yeah. There's a feeling of like, a lot of the way that my anxiety about different things manifests is like, if I say the honest thing, I know intellectually that it will be helpful to do that. And you kind of have to do that. Mm-hmm. There's like, this is a glorious quote from Harry Neff who was on Twitter the other day. It's like, I don't know how else to say this, but the only thing that produces good art is you got to show whole. And I was like, Oh my God, that's filthy. And also completely accurate. Right. True. <laughs> like, very like, true. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think that, like, it's a feeling that, like, those vulnerable things will be of help to people for whom they resonate, but also the fact that, like, anything you say that's vulnerable has this deep capacity to harm also. And that, like, weird, I know that's really deep in the book. There's always this, like, moment, like, the way I was thinking about scenes with, like, Diane and her dad, right, is always, like, 
like this logic of like I have to hurt myself because otherwise I will like hurt you you know and like yeah. that's an anxiety I think with like just a, a difficult thing with like trans sociology also is like moving into realizing like I am maybe this is true generally of like anybody who's in like part of a population that's like defined a little bit by like damage right Mm-hmm. it's like in being honest about myself and saying the things that I feel are very intense about myself right like I'm also like saying things about you who share this with me in some ways and it's just like communal solidarity that like whatever the differences between like like Ella and Rhonda are they can come back to that side of shared wound articulating in a way that almost gets like fatiguing mm-hmm. it's like oh, shit we're gonna talk about this again like we're gonna talk about like how it sucks to be trans again right and it's like that's also like a thing that like we both want to talk about you know like we're going to be like drawn into it in the same way as like like it's like i don't know your friend you talk about like one movie with or something and like you try to talk about something else or something it's sure. like yeah that's cool have we but did you see the next episode of like a mandalorian or something you're like oh shit we got to talk about the mandalorian again but also like yes i absolutely did and i have the following thoughts you know <laughs> it's it's funny around that because i was thinking this morning i was thinking about how heathers comes up more than once in uh, mm-hmm. in dream of dr bantam and i was like in a way the character of veronica is kind of uh kind of like a trans girl who's like trying to fit in with this other group or whatever and is like an outsider who's like i've got to learn the rules of how to be a part of this group or whatever it doesn't it's it's very imperfect or whatever but it's but it's the thing where you notice something comes up more than once and it's like this tells me something about this person they keep re-watching because i think i think maybe I think maybe it's Julie who keeps rewatching Heathers. I'm intrigued. I think it comes up a couple times where they're like, let's put on Heathers again, like that kind of thing. Oh my God, that's cool. I I don't remember. Like, it's as if someone else wrote that book in some ways. Like, I don't remember stuff like that. I've definitely gone through the time of just like watching Heathers a lot. I do love Heathers. Well, that's something I was wondering about too, because that book came out like a decade ago. Right. And it took a long time to write. Like I'm I'm thinking two things, right? Like how does the work, especially work that came out a while ago, like there's, there is the dream of Dr. Bantam and then there's like black Emerald. And, um, and these are things that came out some time ago, but one of the things that's so interesting to me that almost nobody does this is at the end of all three of your books, you include like when you wrote them. So Dr. Bantam will be like New York, Austin 2007 to 2012 the Black Emerald is like Austin and New York 2006 to 2014 and Summer Fun is 2009 to 2019 and like it just makes me think number one like how long it takes to write a book which is a really fucking long time when other people whenever people ask me advice about publishing I'm like be patient right Um, and the other one is like whether it's important where you're actually writing a thing which I think in some sometimes it really is and how like seldom I see that nowadays in books like you Mm -hmm. know as compared to like I don't know James Joyce or somebody who would put down like Paris 1922 to 1939 that was just a given and yeah, then yeah. also the fact that 2009 to 2012, all three of those books, there was like an overlap in one way yes, or another. They were kind of bubbling for you at that time. Yeah, that's true. There's like some of that is just being like younger and more full of beans when I was starting on these projects, you know, like it, it's yeah. still true that there are different like the current dates of like for, I don't know, future reference or something mm-hmm. like the book I'm writing, the novel I'm writing now, ASL, I started in. 2016 but I started working on the characters in 2014 so overlapping with summer fun and then the other one advice from space which is the comic was started 2019 
and until whenever like i'll be working on that one until like probably 2030 or something or yeah like, it's gonna take forever but um it's yeah there's like the publication date of a book is very little to do with like what like, like the whole vibe around it and yet i really was working on the book at all these different dates in different ways right like yeah, there's yeah. definitely things that were like there are key things that are added to summer fun in like you know like 2020 i think and like like the end of it where i'm doing this last like copy edit push i was in a like a grim airbnb at the jersey shore just like going over every line it's like is this line good is this sound good is this line good right and like adding some new stuff then the wear of writing i think is like honestly i can't claim to be like not just being like a 20 something child who had like loved ulysses and was just like i'm gonna do that like what is what is it it's like paris Zurich, trieste or something it's like yeah the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it like sounds that. very romantic you're just like oh my god I read um, the Richard Elman. I haven't read all of it. I, I like bailed on it at some point, but the Richard Elman James Joyce biography is really fascinating because like a lot of it is like he's sort of working on the book, but a lot of it he's also just like engaged. Like he's he's trying to set up this like suit importing business. He's just mm. like getting drunk, putting in like investing in like failed theater productions. Like it's this whole thing where like your life is really full of things that aren't writing it. Totally. But it's something about, I think the reason I wanted to put the, I think I took him out this summer fun just because it was too long and it was too convoluted because I think while I was writing it I started it in New York moved back to Austin moved to New Orleans moved to New York again like part of it was written in like like weird places as well in the interim like and it's just like I don't know it's just like it's not a coherent story like anymore it's not like I, I put my steamer trunk and like now I live in Trieste now and I, I finish yeah. it up there but I do think that is like the Dream of Dr. Bantam mostly not being written in Austin was important to me to record in some ways. Like mm-hmm. I finished, I think I sold it and like finished the final edits in Austin. It was mostly written in New York, like kind of longing for Austin, right? Like it's about like, this is how I really don't like being here. I wish I was back in Texas. This is what, this is like the Texas of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's important that Summer Fun was written almost not at all in California. I think actually not at all. It was at Lambda at some point in there, but I don't think I worked on it at all while I was there. Yeah. And so it's just like, looking at Google street views of Hawthorne and thinking of times I've been in LA and like what it felt like, like what the memory is. It's actually like, I don't know, like magical in some ways to not be like that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I thank you for appreciating that. Like, you no, know, you're the first person who's ever liked that part. So I appreciate Oh that. really? I wasn't sure if I, that's the thing is you never know what somebody picks up on. Like, I don't know if it's like this for you. Like when you've been like reading from summer fun and you're reading a thing out loud, a passage from it, and all these things in your brain are kind of pinging and yeah. you're like, Oh, this reminds me of this thing. This reminds me of that thing. But like most of that stuff is stuff people are not necessarily going to pick up on or you're like, Oh, this like turn of phrase came from this like song I was listening to or whatever, that yeah. kind of thing. Especially a question that I, that I'm thinking of too, in relation to like working on multiple projects is like, and summer fun taking so long, like, do you have ways of hooking yourself back into a project when there's that length long of a duration? Like, is it like a song or like a certain, do, do you know what I mean? To kind of get in that mindset. Cause, cause after a while, it's kind of hard to recover or go back to. Yeah. I think that like, that's part of the, part of what makes novels good. This is part of my, like my hot take argument that novels are like better than short stories in every conceivable form because short stories can be like perfect but theirs is the perfection of angels Mm -hmm. i think the um a a short story that is well constructed will always be like better constructed and like more like of like a purely literary like beautiful experience 
any novel is important because the writer is on a moving train called time while you're working on it. Mm-hmm. The metaphor I use when I talk about this with my students and like why, like how to handle um, thinking about characters over time and revision is that basically you're on a train and there's something that's very, very emotionally important to you in some ways, like under, like the band, the beach boys is like everyone's first thought mm-hmm. here. Right. But like something that's like, really like, there's something there. It's like another exercise to do with them. is like, what is it that starts with you? Is it like a line of songs? Is it like, is it like a line of music? Is it like someone you've known? Is it like, like a weird, like, like an emotion or something that's coming up? Is it like another text or something? What is it that you're looking at from the front of the train? And you start the project and you're kind of approaching it in time more and more, you're getting more steeped in it. And then until you're really level, you're really there with it. And you start going past it and you're no longer in sync with it anymore. And then it's so totally gone review mirrors like you have different things you can mm-hmm. do because you're still generally working on it you haven't necessarily finished with the session you're working through and it's no longer present so like and you it like emotionally present i mean it's not like you it's not like you don't have it as a reference it's like you don't you you get to this place of like why was i writing this why do i think this character was important etc i think that it's the same answer with like any like any relationship you want to cultivate it's just like hang out with it in some ways like, it's like, I think like I've, I'm going through this right now with ASL, right? Which is the novel I've been working on for a while. I um, I had a thing where I finished a draft of it and I like, it basically did not get, like I showed it mm. to some people who were just like not into it in the way that I thought they would be. And, um, you know, some, some people really liked it, some people didn't, but one of the people who didn't was like yeah. my agent who kind of has to like it, you know? <laughs> like... So I thought like, and it was also the pandemic was happening and I was just in this period of like, this is just the last gasp for me. I'm just not going to write. I was already thinking of like, like different personal stuff is going on where I was like, do I get to write at all? Like mm-hmm. is writing like something that's just inherently harmful if I write these long things I need to just stop, right? Just like a bad, like everyone had a bad time. I was talking, I was talking to a friend about this the other night about how like your friend Jade and I have this idea of like the night world we talked about. We, we had like a, series of like, she was like a phone friend during the pandemic. I was like, how is it going in the night world? Like, how are things for you in the night world, right? And I think like everybody became their like night sona in the night world, which is just like the most like, I don't know, just like your child self in some ways, like this really extreme hurt version of yourself. And I think like one of my, like my night sona was like, I don't deserve to speak, so I'm just not gonna. Like I'm gonna vanish into something, and that that turned into like just not being able to work on anything for a period of time, um, and then kind of very very slowly part of that like embodiment we talked about at, at the top of the call, just talking about that sort of return to like like quote unquote post pandemic life, right? Is like the recovery of that. I feel like part of the process of clawing out of that was just literally having days where it's like I'm gonna sit down to write, and literally all I'm gonna do is like look at this book and like read parts of it aloud, and like not turn away from it. And if you just do, and then maybe that's it for like a day or like a week, just like every day, I'm just going to look at it and not turn away from it. And I'm maybe going to journal about what I see in it. I'm maybe going to think about the characters because this is a period of time where I felt like the project is bad. All the characters are like, like I'm not understanding of them. What was I doing with this? And to, to take it back to Summer Fun, like I definitely felt this way about Summer Fun many, many times, particularly over the... Um, not during the first rush of writing it really from like 2009 to 2015 was really when the most of it like the really long version came together and kind of everything after that was some kind of cutting or redaction of the 2015 draft with some important big additions but like um 
part of what I, one of the things I said to you earlier was like about, um, I started the book when I was 26 and like, you know, I'm publishing when I'm 38, right? And like, I compared this to someone to like, I picked out and I had my outfit for the dance when I was 26. Now I get to wear it when I'm 38. And like, I'm not necessarily going to pick the same things, you know? Like, particularly it's like, it's a book about like, there, there's like an embarrassment even talking about it because it's a book about like, oh, it is, it is a book about a musician of genius who is perhaps also transsexual. And like, in a way, transsexuality is, is akin to genius, don't you think, right? And that's like, that would have been my take on it in like when I was 26, you know, before coming out or something. It was like when like, because it's important that the whole conceptualization of like the, the B plot was really like before I had done it, like when trans like transitioning seemed like the biggest and like most magical and like incredible thing in the world to step into. And then like, and I'm like revising it and like coming back to like, oh, you got to do a whole nother draft so we can take it out to try to sell it again in like 2018. I'm like looking back on it after being out at that point for eight years. And it was like, yeah, you know, being trans isn't actually like, that. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of different. I mean, it's great, but it's like, it's pretty different, a different kind of great, you know? And like, I think that it's just, to get back to the train metaphor, right? It's like recognizing that the true portrait of the thing is going to be the thing seen from all those different states. The true portrait of a character is going to be the character that like, I don't know, is, is with the strength of any, the strength of any like strong relationship, right? It's like, you've seen them at the absolute best. You've seen them at their absolute worst. And like, you're here for it on any point in between of that continuity, right? And like, you still see it all you know but it's like you're here for it in all these other places i think that's like i don't know i think that with generally with the mm -hmm. book there's enough there to always get back to there you know i think is there's something there's something that made you fall into the project you know that's just like just hang out with the project yeah like finding yeah just letting yourself sit with it or whatever even though maybe that's uncomfortable which i think is also another thing that we learn through like therapy and stuff like this is like not everything is going to be great yep. sometimes you just got to let yourself feel a thing that doesn't feel great and just like be there with it <laughs> yeah exactly and it's, it makes me think too, as you were talking about like this, like the genius and then like being like trans or whatever and stuff of this kind of like, and, and this kind of comes back to that question of magic, which was a thing that I said before I was going to bring up. And it makes me think yeah. of like magic and creating art and like summer fun opens with magic and it's kind of scattered throughout the novel. And, and it feels like there's kind of something there. There's a there there, I think, to do with like the creation of the work and magic. And I do think like magic literally and metaphorically is something that appears in your work. So I'm kind of wondering about like the role of like magic in in like in, in things that you've written or Yeah. I'm trying to think of what to say about magic in some ways. I think that like language itself is magical as we talked about before. Like the act of like like it's really sort of a sustained act of like built on a foundation of like this weird power of like, I'm gonna name a thing, I'm gonna quantify a thing, I'm gonna limit a thing with like, okay, here's where I'm gonna go into this. There's this really important book to me called The Far Side of Madness by this guy named uh, Perry. I wanna say his name is Matthew Perry, but I know that's wrong. But it's, it's a psychologist named Perry who's written in the seventies and it's about schizophrenia and like psychotic break experiences. And like specifically about um, his idea was that the received wisdom or like the first idea that you'd have around this is like, oh, like this person saying things or believing things that aren't true. What we have to do is stop them from doing that, control that like effluence of language. And then once you get them in a place where they're not making the problem worse by saying stuff, then you try to, you try to treat them from there, right? 
His hot take is that that's completely wrong, that the presence of any kind of effluence is a symbol that something needs to come out. And that by his idea is that like, and of course this is a very, very reductive and very simple idea, right? But it's like the idea that like, that has like 10,000 caveats to it. It is the idea that's sort of like in the weird like anti-psychiatric tradition, right? It's just like, if you sit down and listen to somebody who's in the midst of having like, like an intense like schizophrenic episode or like psychotic break or something, and just not necessarily say like, oh yes, I, I've, I've always thought there's like a radio in your mind that's like saying stuff or things like that, right? But just like, listen to it. It's like, okay, you think there's a radio in your mind. So tell me like, when do you hear it? Like, is there a certain set of hours you hear it in? Okay, interesting. And it never changes this. Like you ask, like, you be like a good listener, like a good active listener about what's going through somebody's mind, like what's coming out. And his hot take is that by just like doing this with various people who are, he's working with patients, right? And trying to just like make notes on like, what are they saying? What are the kinds of stories they're telling? And look past the nouns to like the deeper structures. He's finding that through that active, active listening, you go from a world that's like a deeply binary thing that's coming off in, in like intense mental episodes, right? The forces of the angels are trying to like want me to rise up and claim my soul, but like the devils are trying to drag me down, right? Or something. And it's like, I have to resist the devils and only do angel things and never do devil things, right? And it spreads out in all these ways. There's like conspiracies, the devils have, et cetera, right? If you keep going with a binary, it'll start to naturally just by the act of active listening. And this is kind of like the secret sauce that supposedly underlies all of therapy, right? Is the idea that just like really people deeply, deeply, deeply want to be listened to in an active way. And that that has this intensely transformative power just by the, the act of like someone else witnessing your shit. You'll gradually get to a place where there's a coordinary where there you still have the original, like, or there's angels and there's demons, but also there's, I don't, I don't know, like there's like the brownies or something, or there's like, like the four sides. And then it's like, you have this sort of complete map that you can do to that it isn't like I'm pulled in one direction and I need to go in the other way, but I can't go in the other way. You're not in that bind. You have this sort of space that you naturally provide for yourself. And it often comes in visions of like, oh, the four quarters of the earth. This is the thing that's really, really deeply in magic, right? And if you look at mandalas, they're always based on a four part axis. If you look at like the elements, therefore, that are sort of like crosswise, right? If you look at a cross, it is cross-shaped. Part of what is magical about writing is that you're taking something that's just using one of the elements, which is just like conception and like words, through a successive act of naming that's in direction with some kind of like thing you want to shape. You're gradually building this body of things that has the power to suggest itself to other people. You're abandoning at a certain point and completing the cycle where it's like, okay, this is no longer a text that's an active flux. This is like a fixed form that's going out in the world. And then someone else can do that act of bearing witness in a way that's distributed and sometimes will come back to you, right? I think that it's like, I, I think I've just given like a, the word I'm going to use is epidemiology, which is not correct, but like an account of magic, an account of like a magical action is sort of that circuit. Mm -hmm. And then kind of also like on a non-metaphorical level of magic, it's just like, that act of bearing witness with these like strange returns, right? But, you know, I come back to again, like just being very lucky at the way things Corinne saw in the book, the things like other people have seen in the book, right? Or like things people tell me about the book. I've been extremely fortunate in the things people put back, you know? Because somebody went through the book and like, like drew every scene in it, like drew like every page, which is like, wow. And I, this is like an intimidating level of fandom. And like, I'm, yeah little intimidated but also like that's what a compliment like what that's that's wild you know that's like this weird 
like taking it to another level. I don't know what, you know, I kind of hope Brian Wilson hasn't read this book or doesn't know about it, you know, like, but I think like there's something about like, I kept thinking during the act of like, when I think about, I have like a deep sense of like, I don't want to say anything or do anything that's going to hurt anybody, right? On a really deep level. And like thinking about, yeah. but you're doing a book that's like about this person who's like famously very mentally intense and vulnerable. Smile, smile is the elements. Smile like even ground down on the attempt to like put the elements into it, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Sorry, realization, pain of mind. Um, the, um, I don't know, that chain of like witnessing and like vulnerability over time, I think is like, like even even within trans literature as you, you must see from doing this podcast and just talking to a bunch of people you know we've said we like we like talk about one another we talk about these different things right and like there are definitely mm -hmm. things in this book that are i don't know like really like it's very there's a pre and post nevada part of summer fun there's a pre and mm -hmm. post like i read like um it was lucky to like like i got to read some of detransition baby like way back in the day right when there's a manuscript so there's like some of there's yeah. like a pre and post some of that that's certainly going on in here right yeah like just knowing like Casey Platt, like being close to like having this like friend who's like really close, right? And like yeah, reading like Little Fish and the way she talks about her grand like her grandfather or like her grandfather, like the character's grandfather, right? And the book and like I don't know, like it's this real weird conversational richness that when I think of magic, I think there's nothing like like I really deeply believe there's nothing that's not magic. Yeah. On key ways, but then there's sort of like a way of like being intentional about it a little bit, but also just like recognizing it while it's going on. I feel like I maybe am answering your question and it may be just like gesturing at my corkboard full of like crazy shit or something. So like I think it's I think it's both and amazing. Thank you. I feel very seen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think so many things are both and right. Like I mean I think like I well, I don't know. I find myself like when people ask me process questions, I just sound wackier and wackier. Because I'm just more willing to admit how fucking weird it is to like write a thing and to be like, it's me, but it's not really me. Like it kind of is a thing that kind of came through. And if it's any good, it has a life of its own. Well, your process is really intriguingly like formal, like formalism based. Like I've like, like I have that like, like DVD case you sent me that has this like, <laughs> like the liner notes. And for a while I didn't know I think I didn't know what it was initially because I had it and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like Hazel sent me a DVD. This must be oh, cool. Right. And then like, I was talking to B-Shock or something and she was like, did you look at the liner notes? Or something? And I was like, oh my God, this is whole thing. <laughs> like, like what the fuck? I'm like compelled by like how, um, how that formally comes together in that way. It's like the same with like little, the same with a little encyclopedia. Right? It's like this thing where it's like, I will create a consistent world in, in like in artifact form and then have the story that kind of like, traces around it i don't know it's so much of that stuff is just gesturing at a thing that yeah kind of exists but doesn't exist like i don't know like i find it really compelling it's kind of been my mode for the last like 10 or 15 years at least probably is just kind of doing a lot of that stuff but it's just, yeah that one's miscellaneous kisses which i haven't really there's probably only like 30 or 40 people who have read it like i've just kept it really small even though it's kind of an addendum to my next novel <laughs> like uh -huh. There's this like filmmaker in there named Sadie Tang, who is like a really beloved, like a character I love in my next novel. And I was just like invited into a project and I was like, I'm going to do this thing where I'm just going to like really let myself sit with that mm -hmm. and try to like, I always think about getting out of the way to like m let a thing actually happen that isn't me. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like what does the thing want to be? Like what is like, or like what does Summer Fun want to 
be like there's my ego and all these kind of things but if i get out of the way like what does the work actually want to become and then sometimes you realize a thing when you're looking back on it later other people point out a thing to you and you're like oh shit that is totally a thing that is in the work like in some ways i feel like my work is often more wise than i am like yeah absolutely always always there's like the william caddis quote about like the artist is just like the human shambles that follows the work around you know which like his he's like a grim dude so i don't like hearing this all but I, I think there's not there's not no truth in that yeah i mean i think i saw an interview like yeah you were talking about like the dress that you picked out a number of years ago and i think in another interview you referred to like summer fun as like your plucky daughter who's like out yeah. there and that's kind of how i think of my work too is like it's living its own life and it doesn't need anything from me and then people are like yeah i met your daughter or like i met your like whatever like this yeah. like I don't know, like a uh, wolf of a book or this like whatever, <laughs> like dog or something like this. And it's like, oh, wow, you hung out with my dog that I like put in the world. That's beautiful. Yeah, um, it's just as weird as that, too. It's like, oh, you hung out with my dog and I wasn't there. Like, what What was that like? Like, what did like, what'd she do? <laughs> exactly. Like, where is she? Oh, that's where she is now. Oh, you're in Tokyo. And like, my dog yeah. is hanging out in Tokyo. That's really sweet. Oh, I love yeah. that. I love that. I'm being very mindful of your time. Um, well, I'm not being that mindful because I'm taking up a lot of your time, but I'm also being aware that like my computer is like at 19%. <laughs> it's like so low. Um, one of the things I did definitely want to ask you about if, if you have a bit of time is like just like publishing because like I think you are someone who is particularly like, kind of well positioned with that. Like I'm curious about Instar books, which you've been running for a number of years, like that you co-founded and um, just kind of like the impetus behind that. And also if doing that, I know you've been involved in like editing for quite some time, but does that like affect your like writing process? Like actually also being a publisher as well? It does. I think like the, I haven't, I have like a day job where I'm writing for kids and stuff, which is kind of like a, it's its own thing, right? But it's like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's like, it's good to get wow. in touch with your like, what did I like when I was a kid self, you know? But like, and particularly as a trans person, I think, but like, it's helped me a lot. Yeah. But I think like when I was really, like I still work on novels sometimes, like like for people, right? And like, mm-hmm. and still of course do it through, through the press. The thing that's difficult with it is just knowing that I can be someone's reader and, and do more, like help them more than I can ever be for myself. One of the reasons that I do think it is good to like, like one of the reasons books like do take so much time is that like you leave them for a while and then you come back to them and you see different things and then you can become your own reader more effectively. Mm-hmm. I think with like seeing just what people do, like seeing the different ways people approach things is actually very helpful. Just seeing like what, like what is it possible for a character to do that would be out of the range of maybe things that I would think of for a character to do. The ways Mm -hmm. that like a character could manifest through me um, is really compelling. I don't know. It's just like a totally different feeling. It's like you're being somebody where it's like, like you're playing a role that is really, really important and then trying to play it well, but just like saying like, I feel like there's not as much of attention as you would think in part because of that difference of role. Because if I'm sitting there thinking like, your book will only be good if I sit here and rewrite it into a good book. Like I'm not being a good editor. You know, that's me, that's me like fucking up your world. You know, it's like a good book. If I can see like, I see the thing you're doing. I'm really fascinated by it. Like, tell me more about this in some ways. 
or like I see what you're doing, but you've told me too much about this. Like I really like like my like my editor in Summer Fun is like like Mark Toten, who is who is a delight and who told me about the game Hades, sort of critical point in the pandemic that was very helpful for me. Okay, yeah. I love that a game about escaping your house became like the pandemic rage or the pandemic like rave of like 2020. But um like their notes to me on Summer Fun were often like just like super like this is my experience as a reader. Like I'm getting like I'm getting there's kind of too much Mona here. Can you give me a little less Mona? Or like this is a lot of Caroline. Can we have less Caroline? Or like, can we get more Diane here or something like that? Right. Mm-hmm. I found that that ended up being really helpful. Just somebody who tells you like, like who gives you feedback in the way, like, like in a literal, like I'm, I'm picturing like Marlon Brando's autobiography where he, he puts people in the biofeedback machine for like, this is a weird private reference to like reading Marlon Brando's autobiography where like he would like whenever anybody's like there to interview him or propose a movie project he's like great I would love to talk to you about that but first you need to come to my island and I will take you to the biofeedback chamber mm. and like strap them into this chair and like wire them up to all this stuff and like make them listen to their own heartbeat until they were like in a state to like discuss business or something I may be butchering the story but I'm not it, it's it's something like equivalently weird if it's not exactly that yeah i don't know i just i just want to be the biofeedback machine to different writers i respect (laughs) our podcast theme song is tall girl by wares from the album survival courtesy of wares and mint records I will also say that the album Survival was 100% my favorite album of 2020. It is so great. Our rad logo was designed by my lovely friend, Regina Faronejad at Handmade Design. t for t is recorded and edited on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, on whose lands I am fortunate to work and to live. Thanks so goddamn fucking much for listening. Bye.